0: Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of The Late Hour. Uh, My name is Shane, and with me, of course, is always...
1: Mr. Dave. or Mr. 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 Dave. Dave. Whatever. I'm
0: called Mr. Dave. (laughs) Um,
1: Thank you very much. (laughs) Because that's just how we roll. Uh,
0: Hi, everybody. Uh, If you haven't listened to the show before, uh, Dave and I like to talk about stuff. Uh, in terms of uh, whatever we like <laughs> pretty much but assuming <laughs> yeah. that it's assume even though it's not it's always late at night the things you discuss at all times of the night yes. uh but essentially uh over a uh, beer talking, over a beer yeah exactly so uh what we've been actually talking about for the last little while is uh a uh, uh the controversial but not controversial uh Jordan Peterson, who is uh, a a professor and author uh, talking about all kinds of stuff. Uh, He got on hot water, of course, for not liking the pronoun game as dictated by the government uh, and all that kind of fun stuff. But uh, what we're talking about is actually his book, 12 Rules for Life, uh, which is basically he wrote a book a few years back uh, where he was talking about stuff online, about what kinds of like people were talking about, like what kind of things would make life better. And he came up with a huge list of rules that people should potentially follow and he whittled it down to sort of 12 i think it started out as 60 or something or 70 things um so he riddled it down to uh 12 and uh we're just kind of going around going over them uh over the last little while so uh this week we are talking about what chapter dave
1: it is chapter number three also known sorry wait Rule let me let three. me clarify rule did you say did you say rule rule, rule and yes chap, chapter three otherwise known as rule number three make friends with people who want the best for you
0: exactly so
1: basically you can live your
0: best life <laughs> so but yeah so uh living our best life hopefully this book will have some nuggets of information in here where we won't uh i don't know um uh, uh who knows um, I actually wanted to point out that uh, in the beginning of this chapter, uh, I'm sorry, at the beginning of the book, uh, but definitely in this chapter, uh, Peterson talks about his life in Fairview, Alberta, which uh, Dave and I actually I had to look it up. Where is Fairview? Because, you know, people are familiar with Alberta. You always think about Calgary and maybe Red Deer, but and but definitely Edmonton. But uh, Fairview is actually in sort of it's about halfway, just over halfway up the province uh, towards B.C., uh, north of Grand Prairie, uh, almost uh, the same uh, uh, latitude as um, uh, or longitude. Oh, God, I can't even remember. What's latitude and longitude? Uh, Anyway, it doesn't matter. Latitude is is sort of height. (laughs) uh, Fort St. John, for people in B.C., Fort St. John is uh, it's almost roughly the same as Fairview uh Ooh, but okay. uh but i actually the only reason i'm bringing this up is because when we looked it up earlier i happened to notice that there is a place uh to the northeast of fairview called deadwood and i just thought that was cool oh, that no other cool. reason than that uh but uh i don't know anything about deadwood i it could be like one person living uh, somewhere uh there but who knows anyway uh is apparently deadwood is a hamlet in alberta canada within the uh, country of Northern Lights. Oh, located on uh, la-da-da-da-da. Uh, and it's very, very small. With a population, I gather, of 17. So there you go. That's the only reason I brought that up entirely. Wow. Otherwise, it has nothing to do with our conversation today. Uh, so yeah, so today we're talking about uh, this. Uh, the rules of which you should live. And of course, I'm going to let you start, Dave, because I talk a lot. So, what is this uh, rule about? And this uh, is your podcast. Just, it is our podcast, sir.
1: Our okay, okay. but
0: uh, but tell people sure. the, what's the, what's the title of this rule?
1: Uh, the name of
0: this rule. The title of this rule.
1: The uh, name slash title is "Make friends with people who want the best for you." And um,
0: very good advice, and I really think it's a good rule. Um, yeah. Can't argue with that one too much.
1: Um, it's this go. chapter I found a little. It's challenging. How so? Like if if you're someone who is generally wanting to kind of stretch yourself, right, and be uh, at your best, um, and also if you do associate with folks like he describes from his childhood. Um, and and these are people that, you know, uh, one person, unfortunately, um, ended up, uh, dealing with schizophrenia later in life. Um, but there was a few that were just essentially, you know, I think as Jordan or the Peterson would put it sort of on a downward trajectory (laughs) where, you know, they just sank into the life of Fairview Uh, He doesn't have anything good to say about Fairview. Um, Essentially, (laughs) he and anybody uh, that really wanted to do anything left um, ASAP. And he said that was kind of the accepted way of being around Fairview. Like It was kind of understood that the kids were just going to kind of go elsewhere and, and live and, and do, you know, bigger things. Although he does say uh, when he was a child back in the day, that was Alberta's heyday of oilness. And um, so they, they had a lot of money and he does mention that, you know, in many cases, making money was not a problem for anybody Back then, as long as you were willing to be in the oil sector, then you know basically you were just kind of handed money and everything was good. You were on the gravy train, um, right, right? At that point, but um, he had other plans. Uh, a few other folks he knew had other plans, and um, so they left fairly fairly young. But yeah, he said, you know, there was uh, many folks that just did not aspire, I guess, to try and, and be more, more, be more, um, stretch themselves. It's so, part of me has a real, like, I kind of get hives with um, phrases like, you know, live your best life. Like, I don't know why, it's really funny because that is in fact what I would like to do. And that's why being able to do this podcast with you has been so cool, because that's kind of what, for me, what it's always about is, you know, try not saying I'm super successful, but you know, at least exposing myself to ideas about amazingness and what kind of cool stuff can you do with yourself and how to how to be cool you know and i'm using the phrase really loosely cool like just how how do you be more you know uh, how do you stretch yourself how do you reach for those um those dreams you've got basically if you have any dreams i mean some may not um so it's well, well let me let me ask you this for a
0: second because mm. um i did not grow up in a small town i grew up in a town that you know, there were. I mean, what is Victoria's population when I was born is probably about 200,000, now it's actually about twice that. Um, so we're talking like almost half a million people in this just in that cramped area of the South Island. But the uh, where you grew up was I would consider to be uh, in the middle of nowhere, but <laughs> but, but but that's yeah. not what I really want to say. The the the, the, the The actual thing I want to make a comment on is how did you growing up feel living there? Like when you grew up, you eventually knew you you wanted to leave. But but I I suspect your parents probably didn't think, oh, well, they're never going to go. They're going to always be in the area. Or did they did they sort of go the same sort of idea like, oh, they're they're eventually they'll they'll leave and go somewhere else. Which you both you you and your brother both did. Well, we oh so, we did, yeah, we did.
1: Eventually. I took my sweet time with it. Um
0: Yeah, true. But I mean this is the thing, is that, that we all go I mean, like when I left Victoria, it was very sudden. It was very like I basically uh followed a girl and uh it it I went from living in Victoria to suddenly living, you know, fifty kilometers away in a different town with an ocean in between. Um within like two weeks i mean that's how i didn't it wasn't like a lot of thought like oh should i live in vancouver should i <laughs> no I, well, I don't know yeah. um it was just basically that's who she is and i'm taking a chance and off i go so and it worked yeah. out so you know what can you yeah, do yeah. but the reality is i never grew up in that sort of Fairview because i i've i've looked at Fairview on google maps and i look at it now and i'm like would i want to escape yeah probably um I'm not a, you know, I'm not a farmer. I'm not a, cause I always picture, like I follow a lot of farmers on YouTube because uh, the hoof trimming, I don't know, somehow is like this Zen sort of thing to watch. Um, You know, people planting crops and explaining and going through every year, like sort of what kind of crops they're going to grow and these kinds of things. But they live what I would consider to be, again, in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Uh, You know, like they're always talking about, yeah, no, I got to drive into town. Which is like an hour in one direction. You know, so no turns. They yeah. like I have to go there, and they drive for an hour, get what they need, and then they drive back. Yeah. And you know, and it's it's very very strange. Where would I, growing up in that environment, become a farmer? Probably, but again, uh, would I want to escape? Like, would I actually have that Fairview experience? If this is a teenage wasteland of doom, and every child under the age of this is eventually going to bugger off. To the horizon and never come back, which I have to say that a lot of people I know over the years have done that kind of thing. Like a lot of people that I know that used to, they grew up in Calgary, or sorry, grew up in uh, not necessarily Calgary but grew up in Alberta uh, and Saskatchewan, left. I mean, I, I it's kind of funny. Like in this building alone where I live, uh, there are like three people that all grew up in Saskatchewan and they all yeah. left. You know, and they they have this sort of thing with uh, with Ali that is, you know, the The they know they know why you leave, you know. My Mm. parents, my dad, the same thing. I left there because I can't stand snow. Well, okay, great. But, um, but anyway, uh, sorry, I completely derailed whatever the hell you were talking about. But, but this is what I mean like these kinds of cool things that, uh, that we've run into over the last while, um, Mm. you know, we're able to kind of revisit and, 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 and look at. So, anyway. Save me for my own self.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nothing to save, man. But you are asking about what was my sense of what he was, you know, that Fairview mentality, right? Yeah. And um, I got to say, yeah, actually. Um, Where I grew up, definitely environmentally speaking, it was a lot. Uh, a lot less challenging. <laughs> I mean, he talks about, you know, uh, the drunks not lasting long around Fairview because, uh, you know, anybody that was pretty into his cups, as they used to say, you'd stumble into a snowbank at 3am and, you know, somebody might find you 10 o'clock the next day um, dead. Right. Cause we're talking right. 40, 40, 50 below, uh, frequently I guess he was saying during the winter so um it's uh that was something that he had to contend with as well and I'm sure that was a, lo- a large part of it too I mean you just mentioned your dad right I I moved out of Saskatchewan because I couldn't stand the damn snow like that's not <laughs> that's not an uncommon thing to hear uh around these parts so um but that's for me was never the issue it's more about doing stuff cool stuff right and wasn't a lot of cool stuff to do where i grew up um there was uh really your standard (laughs) canadian stuff really um mining logging or fishing Those were kind of the primaries. Uh, Oh, sorry. And, uh, the mills when I was a kid, um, which ended up dying, um, fairly early. Uh, when I was younger, I wasn't a kid anymore, but, uh, I was pretty young, I think when the mills started dying. Um, so those are not even around anymore. So, and the mine I, I don't believe is working at full capacity. Um, so, yeah, it's just, I think Peterson would have said the same thing. The opportunities in Fairview, uh, as for me and and my friends and such, just weren't there. Right. You know, unless there was some specific stuff, like, or if you're entrepreneurial, like there's nothing saying you can't, you know make make a go of something locally if that's your your kind of mind
0: yeah keep on
1: so um and i think that most of my uh my my people if you will my friends uh from high school i'm pretty sure the vast majority of us buggered off elsewhere um because, yeah, it just opportunities, right? Um, now, I didn't really keep in touch with uh, many from back there that stayed there, so I have no idea um, how most people are doing around there. Um, but, and I would say, too, it's a bit of a different world now because with tech work becoming more prevalent. And I guess to, I don't know what kind of time frame I would say I'm terrible with that, but um, 10 to 20 years anyways, I would say uh, our area here, sort of on the coast, if you will, um, has gone bonkers. So there's lots of opportunities in construction and, and those fields these days. Um, so, well, and, and like you say, you're in Vancouver. Like, you know, there's probably a lot of people that just stick around because, hey, it's Vancouver, right? You got lots of opportunity in Vancouver, so you don't need to go anywhere.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like a lot of places around the weird, the weird, and the weird. Yes, around the weird, uh, the around the world weird. where basically we've got, I mean, it's, it's for the longest time. I mean, historically, like people have basically, um, you know they've bounced off to uh you know they they leave wherever they are and they go to the cities because there is you know more um opportunities for people definitely um yeah. it's not you know the only uh place to go and I, and i i mean this all, this all ties into you know the reality of uh you know the decline of uh, what do they call it uh, small town america Mm. Uh, which is also a small town Canada or a small you know north America's changed a lot where um mm. you know in the fifties, I think it was um i want to say the fifties it was probably earlier than that, but the fifties you know were were kind of that the the freeways were were being constructed, and, and you know the the rise of uh places like um uh, uh you know Vegas and all these kinds of things were all tied into. The changing landscape of how uh you know where people just did not stay in their hometowns anymore and i you know if you actually watch films of the era there's definitely a resentment from a lot of people it like characters like being pissy that oh well, you left and you came back because you're such a big shot you know that kind of attitude uh you know the people that went off to you know quote unquote make their fortune or whatever Um, And then they return and then they're, you know, basically being told off by their, their family or or friends or whatever. Sorry, we went off this weird tangent. (laughs) I've kind of run with it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean,
1: Well, no, I, I get it. It's a different, it's a very different mentality. Like you're, you got too big for your britches. And what do you expect by coming back to this area kind of thing? You know, like, exactly. I don't know. It's, But that's, I mean, that's a whole nother very, very interesting conversation we could have for sure about, you know, the way the planet has developed and families are not necessarily, you know, um, as cohesive as they used to be, uh, shall we say. Um,
0: definitely definitely
1: yeah yeah but much more uh what's the term that like sociologists like to use uh, uh social mobility or whatever um population mobility i don't know but some something like that so um yeah peterson you know he's not explicitly talking about that in the chapter but he's he's kind of pointing at it really but um i guess just to get back to it his point is Um, you want to be with people that are going to stretch you and you don't want to be with people so much that are, um, either, you know, um, purposely or not. I mean, I would, I would argue more often than not. It isn't purposely at all, but, um, you know, somebody that could, um, drag you down or slow you down. In terms of reaching, um, reaching for your goals, I just oh, I again I don't know why I get such hives about like reaching your potential or in any of that kind of language because that is totally, that is totally my thing. Well, I, maybe it's just my reaction to kind of the, because if you go on YouTube. And you, you do any bit of searching for that kind of stuff at all. You're just, you're awash in a thousand, a million people babbling at you about how they've got the elixir for, you know, you being awesome, living your best life, reaching your potential, all that kind of stuff. Again, it's kind of amusing that I, I get such hives about that kind of talk because that is totally my my thing but there we are
0: so basically you're you're saying that if you see somebody online specifically saying something nice about whatever um that they it gives you 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 said you earlier you you know gives you hives you know that um
1: okay okay so question for you you said okay. whenever i hear somebody saying something nice so what what do you no, mean no sorry, sorry let
0: me let me clarify it not not saying something nice but but being a, a cheerleader for others right um, right right like, like being a because essentially i mean yeah you're you're a wash you do anything remotely connected to positivity or uh yeah rules for life actually um yeah. And you'll you'll run into somebody without even trying, um, but the best part that that uh, of that, or sorry, the best in my mind, is uh, because it's easy. It's very very easy for that, and, and I run into it all the time as well. You know, because I have searches for myself. I've got searches for clients, all kinds of things, and you will run into that stuff worded in a different way. And yeah. the the re- uh, actually, come to think of it. There's a, a film that Bo Burnham, the, the comedian slash actor yeah. slash director, did um, a few years back uh, called uh, uh, Grade Eight. So Grade Eight being that time where you're going from being a kid into being an adult and, you know, that awkward space of, of you know, a year or so. And um, one of the characters, and of course, this specifically, this this movie was about kids of that age growing up in the world of social media and the lead character has a YouTube channel and they're recording every night, posting to YouTube and whatnot. Um, but they also are saying exactly those same things. Like they're hitting all those keywords of how to be yourself and how this and how to be happy and love. Yeah, yeah, And, yeah. but yet in the background, it's this, you know, this 13 year old child, a uh, 14 year old child who is, um, giving you this information and then you, they turn around and they're like the most unhappy individuals ever. So, you know, which is actually very true. I mean, you think of comedians and the sort of (laughs) trope that, you know, the funniest comedians are always the most unhappy. Um, Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that you have that kind of stuff because it's so easy to do where you could build your entire channel on somebody giving you advice who are well-meaning, I would suspect most of them, but not necessarily qualified because it's, it's very easy to talk to a camera or to record an audio piece and actually say, you know, some, some helpful advice, uh, without any evidence to back up what you're saying, because the rubber hits the road only when something goes sideways. So if you give somebody advice in your life here and there, your people are always doling out advice, uh, and the advice you give, uh, causes harm or is maybe not the best advice you could have given and you know or whatever but at the end of the day causes somebody else pain um that's when you can either go no no let me clarify what i meant or oh my gosh you're right what i said might have not been the best but i was trying to be helpful but Mm -hmm. let me help you you know let me help you recover from this um where a lot of those people on youtube for example won't don't have that responsibility they just don't, you know. So it's like they they nah, just dole this stuff out, they spew yeah. it out on the internet, and the uh, actually my favorite video ever of somebody giving advice, um, for like the first this is this is a local uh, YouTube person who I think has stopped doing this since, because I haven't seen them post anything new, and I haven't actually looked. I could go look, but I don't care. Uh, but essentially, they had uh, they would give you advice for like two or three minutes and then they would start talking to the goddess of Gaia or something while taking off their clothes in Stanley park. So uh, you wouldn't see any nudity, but that's what they essentially supposedly were doing um, how that was connected to self-help. I really don't know. I mean, even saying the phrase mm-hmm. self-help kind of is weird um, because it implies that you have to help yourself. Uh, with or, or to me without advice but anyway uh, it's kind of like one of those weird things like because you know as as you know uh, the biggest enemy of anything is in your own head so mm. um, but Whoever, here's also the, the thing biggest help. Uh, well yeah exactly so but then you turn around uh, from talking about from me talking about the whole YouTube thing about how you have these unlicensed gurus primarily i mean there's definitely therapists and people who have studied and whatnot that are on youtube as well but uh you turn around and you look at somebody like jordan peterson's book uh where all of the stuff he's talking about is based on his experience as a therapist his experience as a researcher his experience as being in the field for a long time uh so you know he has having some
1: gray hairs having some gray hairs that's not that's not you know Forget that part. The man's got a few years on the planet. And um, somebody once told me that in, uh, I believe it's in native culture. um, If like, like what we're just talking about right now, if you're spouting off and you don't have some gray hairs there, they don't care what you say because without the gray hair to back it up, as far as they're concerned, you're talking out of your ass. So I don't have a lot of respect for that. So, and that's, um, I mean, again, we've talked about this a little bit, maybe even the last time I recorded just that I'm, at least while I'm reading this book and I don't know if I'll care uh, down the road, but I'm not really exposing myself to a bunch of other media either about or from Peterson um, just cause I want to sort of experience the book on its own merits, I guess, if you will. And cause I'm aware of his controversial nature, um, or the, I should say the controversy surrounding him, who knows if it's controversial nature, I would say he's, you know, that's not really what he's aiming at by any stretch, but regardless, there is that controversy stuff. And I just want to be able to experience the book as a book written by a dude who seems to have some wisdom. And as you said, he's been in the field for a long time. Um, clearly the man's got some brain cells as well, because holy crap, you can tell he's, he's pretty smart. Um, and the book is dense, like each chapter, there's just so much in it to think about. When I started reading this chapter, I actually, um, I just kind of flashed through it. And I'm like, I I don't know if I'm even going to want to do this chapter. Um, well, I mean, I, I would have, right? Because it's, it's our next chapter. But I was just like, I don't know, man. I'm just not into this chapter. But then I actually, I read it properly, you know, word for word type reading. And um, I'm like, you know, I like this. Um, because he's not... I love the fact that the man isn't like these little bites getting back to the YouTubers, right? Like you get these little sound bites, like you're, you're the, the five people that you hang out with the most, right. Period. End of story. Um, Whereas Peterson's chapter is make friends with people who want the best for you. Like that's, There's no moralism there. There's no thou shalt, you know, uh, not consort with harlots, whatever crap, you know, he's just saying, look, here's, here's something that you need to think about. If you are truly a person who wants to have a rich life, have a good life, stretch yourself in terms of your capabilities, really reach for um, the stuff that you dream about your, you know, your, your desires. Cause Hey, we all, have, we all have them. We're all humans. You can't get away from them. It's just that he's saying you have to look at who you're hanging out with, right? Like the people you see most and the people who influence you most, um, they are going to shape your life is what he is saying. And you can't, you can't deny that. You can't get away from it. It's just, what are you going to do? And I think, I don't know what the other chapters are like, but um, I find this one pretty challenging because I I am definitely like a people person and people, uh, unfortunately, kind of a people pleaser, um, well, quite a bit of a people pleaser. And, um, you know, maybe uh, there's loyalty stuff going on there. Um, but Peterson actually talks about loyalty and he says, look, you know, you, loyalty is great, but then you got to look at, you know, who, who is the loyalty going to, are they deserving of your loyalty? He's, he's saying almost explicitly, um, and you got to really think about that. So I think for a lot of people, this would be a pretty tough chapter to go through and, you know, contemplate contemplate the chapter in the context of their own life. Like, who are you really hanging out with and where is your life now? Is it where you want it to be? Is it taking you in the direction you want to go? Right. Um, I guess. Yeah. Like fulfilling. (laughs) Here we go again with this stuff fulfilling your potential. Like (laughs) it's hard to find language that, that is, is, okay for for me as far as i'm concerned because it's all it's all like been it's almost like it's got this taint of you know bullshit hyper positivity type thinking backed up by, as you were kind of mentioning earlier, backed up by nothing, right? You get this 13 year old that's spouting off about how to be happy. And, and, you know, the five, five biggest tips for, um, for making sure that you, you stay happy in in all situations, whatever. Right. And I, I think you made the comment, meanwhile, the camera turns off and you turn around and Dad's an alcoholic and, and mom uh takes sleeping pills and has anxiety and uh um it's uh it just it's a messy life. So uh um, and, and that's true because yeah.
0: the life is messy. Life is uh chaos and, and you know, uh, as you and I have talked about, the only way really to Or at least From my perspective, Uh, the only way to live is to, you know, be able to manage how you react to the world uh, because there really isn't anything else you can do. Um, You know, you can't, you're not, you're not building mega yachts with your 80 gazillion dollars and, uh, you know, hiring yes people to be around you all the time. You're living in the real world. Um, But yeah, I mean, the, the, um, something you said basically was, was what, is happening in this chapter where, I mean, basically this chapter is actually kind of the lightest one that I've read so far. And I've think I've, I'm up to rule five, six now. Um, And the compared to a lot of the other parts of the books or a lot of the book is, uh, you know, that these are, we always hear about, you know, negativity and, and uh, people that are, are, telling you how to live your life or not telling you how to live properly or whatever it might be, but essentially that they are getting in your way because you feel a loyalty to people and and all these kinds of things. And that can result in, you know, you're derailing your future, uh, assuming you actually know what you want to do. Say for example, mm. I would like to be a veterinarian. And then you sit around and drink beer and smoke weed all day. Yeah. Not necessarily going to get you to school. But, you know, I mean, there's I mean, that's definitely what I think a lot of this chapter is going on about is that they have. uh, This is what I mean by it being a lightest, because it's so obvious to me of what this chapter is talking about. Like, basically, you are an individual. You have all these loyalties to people you grew up with. You have all of these things that you uh, support because of where you grew up. uh, But it isn't until you leave that environment uh, when that can change when you can go oh geez you know Barry's like the coolest dude I know wow I grew up with him he's the like the most funny guy blah, blah, blah. Uh, geez you know I guess maybe I shouldn't do that heroin with him you know or whatever I mean I'm I'm picking on really extreme kind of cases but there are even subtle ways of of what kinds of uh you know cost to to as he puts it the cost of living in that sort of environment versus the benefit of actually leaving um, yeah. and talking about, you know, chaotic relationships and stuff like that. I mean, he goes on basically to tell you about his, you know, what he did growing up. And it was basically grew up in a small town, hung out with some people. They're pretty cool, but ultimately I wanted to do more. And if I didn't leave, uh, I would not be where I am right now. I would be probably still in Fairview uh, sitting on the corner stool. Um, and you know what actually it's really funny. I, thought of cheers when i was reading this again uh, a couple weeks ago was mm. uh the very ending of so so cheers if you've ever seen it is a tv show that ran i think in the late 80s into the 90s and it basically was telling the story of a bunch of characters who hung around this bar named cheers uh in a place in boston or yeah boston i think yeah I think it was Boston and um so it was uh these characters basically got into all these different sort of situations where they uh, were, you know, ridiculous things would ensue. They basically hung out of the bar. A lot of them quite a bit of the time. And because that's where they found friendships. And if you get to the last, uh, if you watch the thing all the way through, which I think I did, I think I watched a bulk of that show. I don't think I watched everything, but they got to a point where the very last episode, um, the characters, all the characters in the show found, you know, a a new thing to do. Their lives kind of moved on from being at the bar Mm -hmm. and uh, like uh, the, the Woody bartender character, I think he got elected into politics. I think he became a politician. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. The uh, uh, Frazier moved to Seattle because he had a a He got a radio show in Seattle um, Mm -hmm. on the other side of the thing. And that was a bit stressful for him because I think he had a, Child with one of the characters in the show. Um, uh, the 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 uh, the people that had always sort of been there moved on, except mm-hmm. for the lead character. He basically was still there the whole mm-hmm. time. Like he, mm-hmm. and one of the characters said, "You know, I might be moving on. I've found this new job. I think actually, Norm, Norm, the the, the guy that always sat in the at the end of the bar you know, and watching the bar. The postman. No, no, no. Oh, and the postman too. You're right." um uh clive Clyde. so i forgot the postman's huh? name anyway it does,
1: okay it sorry matter. i thought norm was a postman but no
0: no norm norm was the i think he was like an out of work accountant or something i've forgotten exactly what oh, he, right. he did okay. his okay. career but anyway i think he actually got hired by woody to run his you know the the oh, finances man. for his campaign or whatever it was i've forgotten exactly what it was but anyway but all these characters move on and and it was norm that said at the very last uh, moment of the show which was basically because uh they they were acknowledging that hanging out at the bar kept them from doing things, kept them from living their lives mm-hmm. in a certain mm-hmm. way and, and including uh, the lead character and that was kind of, it was it was implied for a long time, but basically, as the show was winding up, they moved on and and the uh, the lead character uh, who ran the bar, whose name escapes me. Can't the character the I don't
1: remember, but Ted Danson was the Ted Danson's
0: character. Um, uh, but basically you know he was like a retired ball player because he threw out his shoulder or something, he was a pitcher, or whatever it was. Anyway, he retired from baseball, bought the bar, and uh, and then anyway, so uh the, the norm character said, you know, something like, you know, by the way, uh even though uh, you think that all of us are moving away or moving on and, and leaving your life, we're not. Because the thing is, you're actually you've you have had the advantage the entire time. You knew what you wanted to do. You knew where you wanted to be. Mm. And your first love is the bar. Like you, right. you love us all. We all love you. But don't forget. Don't feel sad that we're, you know, doing something different with our lives. We Won't be here right. as often. But you because you're already there. You have you've had this the entire I mean, for exactly the entire show. Uh, you know, it was about this character who didn't realize what he had. And then eventually at the last second, he's like, Oh, you're right. Actually, you're right. I've always been here. I, this is actually where I want to be. And you're right. I've, I've been doing and living my best life the entire time and just didn't realize it. Mm. Um, you know, people popped in, people left and that kind of stuff. But he always had that sort of cornerstone of this is my life because I chose to be here. I didn't wander in one day and decide I liked it. I didn't trip over the stoop and, decide i would stay he made a conscious choice be like this is where i want to be and yeah and he also you know he had some mentorship there at the beginning and stuff like that so um but these but the chapter that were that that, that basically that um that uh, uh uh peterson is talking about is that it's like uh you have to recognize that the friendships are a two-way road and the friendships mm-hmm. you have in life uh need to be um need to be open to that. You need to be, you know, you need to recognize when you have friendships that, I mean, he refers to them as toxic and stuff like that, which is a very real thing, but ultimately you have to realize that, that, that everyone, I mean, I always phrase it this way. Everyone's fighting their own battles, you know, their own little wars mm-hmm. going on in their own, in their own mind and, um and in their own life. And you need to know when enough is enough. I think it's sort of what he's saying in the chapter. like, eventually you need to remember that it's okay for you to be friends with people that may not be the, that might not make the best choices for themselves. You can give them advice. Don't let them be a leech on yourself or whatever, but essentially um, you just need to know that you as an individual are living and you can give as much as you want but there will be a limit where you yourself will suddenly start to falter either physically, mentally, whatever you need to know when to say to somebody, fuck off. Um, I mean, I'm I'm paraphrasing it, uh, but essentially uh, in order to, in order for you to be supportive and to be, you know, of other people, you can't be giving all the time, which I think is actually a major fault for a lot of people, including myself. Um, yeah. that because I, w- I would say that in my yeah. in my practice like a lot of the stuff that i do is i give too much because and then i don't leave enough time for for myself or something on those lines like somewhere in there right yeah. is the truth dig in and find out but essentially um you know you have to be able to uh what is it? What do he say? Let me actually pull up the chapter here. Um, I'll go right to the end. And it says, uh, don't think that it's easier to surround yourself with good, healthy people than with bad, unhealthy people. It's not uh, a good, healthy person is ideal. Uh, it requires strength and daring to stand up near such a person. Uh, have some humility, have some courage and use your judgment to protect yourself from too uncritical compassion and pity, make friends with the people who are best for you. And that's kind of, he's trying to say that as much as I would like to tell you, don't hang out with Joe because he's a heroin junkie and he'll steal from you or he has stolen from you. Um, you know, you, you shouldn't just give up on somebody Mm. like that, but you need to recognize what that relationship is is and i actually have some, i used to have some friendships that were very much where i was probably leeching off of them or they were leeching off of me or vice versa like it was a very you know sort of a marriage of not yeah. great and you know eventually they either drifted off on their own or you know there was basically piss off i think a lot of r- romantic relationships are like that where you have this romantic yeah. relationship And if it doesn't work for somebody, um, you know, you have to be able to say, you know, it's not working for me anymore. I still think you're cool, but uh, I'm crazy or you're crazy or this is just crazy being together. Let's not, let's not. And I always think that it's poorly uh, done in fiction a lot of the time, especially on TV, where a lot of people spend a lot of their time where those kinds of relationships, when there's some sort of you know, division of a relationship or a disillusion or whatever, um, that somebody is an asshole. And I mean, granted, the format of TV, it's all about melodrama and stuff like that. But, yeah, um, yeah. But I always find that that there's a lot of people that I've run into uh that are very much married to that idea that there is this ideal that somehow matches TV. And I kind of like, yeah no. That's not how relationships are. Those That's drama. I mean, uh, Nashville, a TV show that that I enjoyed because of its so out of left field, like over-the-top melodrama. You know, like there were like people that were in relationships with the, a different person every season or every 10 minutes, it felt like. And it was just amazing. <laughs> like it was so incredibly ridiculous, but the show was really popular uh, at the time. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I keep, I've derailed myself into TV, but essentially to to summarize my whole point uh you know every relationship is different uh just basically make sure you recognize when they're not great um it's which yeah. is not a which he also says is not easy to do um you know he no, made it, it can of, be hard
1: know. to do yeah yeah and i think I think part of your you didn't you didn't say this but I think part of your point about TV relationships um you know really <laughs> not being ideal models for us in IRL as the kids say um you know in in real life um and I think that's just it's just a symptom of our times, I think where right. we're more inclined to look to um, fictional characters for pointers than we are to our our elders, our 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 own families to see um, what how how to do a relationship, right? Um, and That's I, a great
0: also... title for something. How to do a relationship? <laughs> how to do? How to do that relationship? Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Keep sorry. Keep going.
1: I uh, well, uh, so yeah. How how to do relationships? Now on the flip side, I was going to say that. Fair enough. Even in real life, we unfortunately have very very few examples of. What a healthy relationship looks like. Very few, and if you're exposed to one, you are, as far as I'm concerned, very lucky. You know, I, when I look around, um, I I struggle to think of great uh, great relationships that I would um, want to emulate. You know, um, either like, uh, because you're mentioning, you know, our romantic relationships, um, but just even uh, family relationships and and friend relationships, like all relationship. Um, I think we as humans, um, well, okay, we as North American humans, I can't speak for other cultures. um, I think we more than a lot of the other planet struggle with um, relationships with our fellows, just because we're so inclined to look to fiction for our examples. Um, I, I could well be full of garbage on that one, but um, that's, that's my sense. Like it's, it's not easy to put yourself into good relationships because our examples are so hard to find. And I think you make a good point too, that when it comes to, you know, either, either books, fiction or um, TV where drama is the name of the game and they're always looking for ways to ramp it up um, which is fair enough. That's their whole point. That's what people are are expecting in, you know, in, in a way. Um, But again, is it really helpful in our own lives and and not necessarily? I mean, well, well,
0: one of the things actually that you just touched on was about, you know, finding good, or uh not good finding different ways of of looking at at a relationship for whether or not they're good for you or not um or good for them i mean that's the other thing too is that you could be the leech or the whatever you want to call it Mm. um but essentially um one of the things that i uh, i've noticed uh is that because of the decline of reading uh book reading like for for leisure um is interesting because uh, to me, because over the last little while there's been, uh, I'll say by while, I mean uh, there's uh, for the last, say the last 20 years or so, say this is the beginning of, of the new uh, century. Um, We basically have seen we, as in I myself, uh, but in a lot of people that I, uh, I know um, they could not tell me the last time they sat down and read a novel about something. Mm. Um, they can tell me about how oh, have you seen blah? Like in the last little while, uh, for the last like two or three weeks, uh, maybe a month, a um, squ- uh, squid game. I've heard so much about something called squid game. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was when I was first told about it, I thought it was actually like a game show, like, um, <laughs> like a uh, uh, Wipeout. One of yeah, my, yeah. one of my little sort of guilty pleasures is those summer game shows that get made to fill the time between sort of the usual season of, t- of television, you know, from like, you know, September, October until like April, May. And mm-hmm. it's sort of that June, July, August, the September kind of time period where it's like you watch people try to get across a slippery, greased up thing who gets slapped in the face by comically like, large hands and then fall in the water. You know, these kinds of stupid shows like ninjas against, you know, yeah. some things, you know. And, um, and those shows are, are, are forever. They've always been around. Uh, I remember back in the seventies, eighties, there was battle of the network stars, which always happened in the summer where these people, uh, that were like, you know, David Hasselhoff was a Knight Rider and he's facing off this particular, whatever the hell against Mary Lou Renton, who was in the Olympics in 84, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know and they would battle it out of some sort of thing you know playing darts or I don't know, beating each other with sticks i don't know i can't remember exactly what the sport part of it was but i remember the fact that that kind of was garbage tv that of course your brains latch onto and, and whatnot mm-hmm. so and anyway, where was i going with this oh yeah the decline in reading so basically i was reading not too long ago like just before the pandemic i was reading some stuff about uh from the US National uh, uh, Endowment for the Arts was talking about how we need to have more authors being supported. And, and I was very kind of like, Canada should do that too. And, uh, and, and there was like a 10% or 20% reduction in reading. Like there, people just weren't picking up books anymore. Mm. And you know, it was all this kind of stuff. And, and I, had, I, I did, find, there was a bunch of other junk that I was reading too, but essentially um, you know, there's just this, this, you know, the people aren't reading as much and a lot of television was taking over and and this is, I think, uh, some of the stuff I read was like 2018. Rough, 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 Sorry. That's the dog. I totally heard what you said. And you know what? The next time you touch the neighbor's cat like that, there's going to be problems. Um, but anyway, so basically, <laughs> basically, yeah, the, the, these kinds of things are, are happening in the background that people don't really necessarily, I think, pay attention to unless you're a publisher or author or whatever. But, um. You know, there's, there's actually the one thing that was fascinating was the decline of book sales at airports where it used to be about, you know, if you were a person who was traveling and you wanted something to do that was not necessarily, uh, you know, whatever you were traveling for, like it was like, I say a business trip or something and, uh, and whatnot. So, um, you know, people weren't buying as many books and there was like a, a, a steady decline in book sales or whatever, mm-hmm. um, but essentially yeah so you got these things and so people turn this is all to say people go to tv now rather than you know so much yeah. good tv on yeah so that was a really long-winded way to stay to basically say that one sentence i could have said 20 minutes ago but uh but there you go <laughs>
1: it's all good it's all good but sometimes uh, uh, uh what, what did the end say if 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 something is worth saying, it's worth uh worth taking time to say. I can't remember exactly, exactly what the phrase was, but yeah. But no, it's uh I I think this has been talked about, you know, in different forms um for years now. The decline of reading and you know, people gravitating. Um and you know what's really hilarious is as you're talking about that, I'm thinking, oh shit, I'm one of those cheese balls that didn't buy a book at the airport, right? And was staring at the back of the uh the back of the seat in front of me because they've all got TV screens in them now, right? Or yeah, a, lo- a lot a lot the of them library. do. So I was I was watching crap, um I I fly very rarely, just you know, to kind of let myself off the hook a bit here. But um, <laughs> I I did don't I did read. exactly. I don't read. I promise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, no it quite, I, it's it's quite funny though that I could have and would have been better served, quite frankly, by having something I wanted to read, and yet I gravitated to the screen and I watched stuff the whole flight and part of it was kind of interesting because i believe i ended up um because i was on a on a flight to europe uh on on this particular trip and um so they had a few things out of europe like uh you know some french crime shows i'm like oh this is really cool (laughs) it's really interesting because different culture not the kind of stuff i'm normally um exposed to in terms of options right i'm and i'm sure i could easily get my hands on them if i really wanted to i'd be able to subscribe to some really funky french channel that you know streams all the all the new french material but um yeah at the time it just it wasn't in my world blah 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 so in a way it was interesting and a bit of an education seeing what another culture does for their own television, you know, what they consider cool watchable material. Um, but, um, what's my point there? Yeah. (laughs) I just, I guess, I guess my point is just to say, yeah, I, I fell down that rabbit hole too. You know, it's, uh, you gotta be, conscious about your choices right about what what you're doing with your time and a lot of people talk about that stuff too in that whole you know living your best life (laughs) world right it's uh how conscious are you of where you're spending your time where are you spending your time what are you doing with your day-to-day is it taking you in the direction you want to go or are you just uh how did you put it sitting around drinking beer and smoking weed like you know um that's true it's and the, this is one of the things i love about peterson like he he wasn't even slamming weed as like this devil's you know hand type of thing he actually literally says that for some people it can actually make them better right but I guess, you know, in, in as many cases, if not more, it can actually have a harmful effect on someone's life. Um, I You know, the difference is what? Who knows? Have they done research on that? Probably not, because up until pretty recently, it was just considered devil's weed and it was completely illegal. So um, whether or not research is being done on marijuana use, I have no idea, because everybody is all about shrooms which is uh, i'm down with that too totally but that seems to be the sexiness right now is is research on uh, the use of uh, mushrooms as a therapeutic tools so um but that's taking us down another infinite rabbit hole that i would love to go down and we <laughs> we don't have the airtime <laughs> we're supposed to be talking about chapter 3
0: um well i mean here's the thing is that this is actually very interesting because this is this is all surrounding um a lot of what happens with, I think life in general is that we have um, relationships. I think the relationships that get covered most often in fiction are abusive ones uh, in terms yeah. of toxic and sort of, cause he's referred to toxic relationships a lot in this chapter. Mm. And the default for most television is like, Oh, so-and-so is beating so-and-so um, you know, whether it's, and it's usually the, the a male beating a female, but I've now more recently seen you know, like uh, you know gay couples and and whatnot, uh, trans couples and stuff like that where the uh, abuses you know kind of either way. And I've seen that also in in straight couples too in, in TV anyway. Because uh, a lot of the the when I turn off when I want to turn my brain off and do nothing, uh, we will watch like police procedurals, and you know those are mm-hmm, just basically mm-hmm. like the crime of the week kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, And it's, and it's fine. You know, it's basically a, uh, a, you know, a way of letting your brain kind of do something else that doesn't require a whole lot of effort. Um, But um, the problem is that it's very obvious what kinds of things get talked about, what kinds of things don't. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, and and you don't quite get the true idea of what a toxic relationship is. Uh, You get the extremes, but you don't get the nuance and, And uh, and uh, the context and all that kind of stuff, which which, to be honest, in in those kinds of televisions defense, that kind of programming, uh, they don't have time for, you know, it's like we have to solve a murder in 42 to 44 minutes. And uh, sorry, uh, doesn't really work that way in the real (laughs) world, but in our world, our detectives are so good (laughs) that they solve the crime within an hour so uh yeah so i mean and so i don't think that and and going back to your point earlier but you know uh, not talking to one's family about about relationships and things like that that's actually a very true thing as well um you know I, i don't know how well uh one could um you know the, the most people i i guess i mean there are, i've seen some families and people that i know that have talked to their family quite openly and and others that are like i'm not talking to my parents because they're assholes and screw them and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like well okay yeah. fine but um
1: the two two ends of the spectrum i guess yeah
0: yeah exactly and so you don't yeah. really get the, the the middle road stuff which is i think where most of life actually lives um yeah know, it's, it's absolutely
1: couldn't agree more Yeah. And that's, I guess, speaks to what, what you're talking about in terms of the dramatization and stuff, right? Like, and not having the time. Um, and I think this is why I appreciate more of the, um, the, the what would you even call it? I don't know, the the nouveau TV? Like, is there a term for it? Um, you know, the stuff, uh, I guess, since, since the rise of, I would say Netflix was kind of the flashpoint HBO is maybe more the grandfather of this kind of thing, but it just wasn't, it didn't have the reach. But now that Netflix was kind of the spark that lit this big bang of non-episodic television, of the story arc that lasts for, you know, um, what I've seen most common. You're more the, the TV guy than I am, so you you'd probably explain this better. But to me, it seems like what they do is, um they will have a common arc that runs the season but they will have story arcs of three or four episodes and so they'll kind of roll like that they've got the overarching story but then they've got these miniature stories throughout the season where a story can be more fully told where characters can actually grow and shift and change in interesting ways and um that's uh that's where I'm down with with TV, and if I let myself, I would just be in my gaunch all day, eating fucking Doritos and drinking beer, watching TV nonstop, like. That and sounds I fully, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I admit this. Like they they have really refined their efforts over the last what what would you say 15 20 years i'm not sure when the spark was really lit but um of really you know developing characters really developing stories that um have a chance to breathe as you were saying right they can develop you can see um real a real shift in characters in the circumstances in their lives because there's there's room for that story to grow and be told properly without you know trying to force the issue in that um they're getting you know the five different forensic tests that they need to nail this guy inside of 20 minutes and in real life we're talking like 20 weeks and that's if everything is working well right i'm completely pulling a number out of the air but from what i understand those procedurals are actually extremely kind of off the mark on that i guess professionals in the field say look you know it's doing dna testing doing blood testing doing uh, materials testing all this stuff takes time and um And fair enough, you made the comment yourself. They just, they haven't got the time to deal with that. They've got the 44 minutes or so. And so they have to get things bang, 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 have to, uh, have to play out. So um, it's, uh, but yeah, it gives us a bit of a skewed view of sort of how life works, you know? Um, But um,
0: which I I want to actually, I just looked this up uh, because I heard something about this just in passing. And um, Netflix has partnered with Starbucks to create a show called the Netflix Book Club, uh, which is being hosted by uh, an actress that I know who is... um, in orange is the new black and a few other things, but essentially um, she uh, she's going to be the first host. Apparently they're going to change them up every so often, but essentially um, it's a show where people will talk about new books, films and series adaptations uh, and, and specifically about how these books were adapted to a Netflix show um, or movie or whatever. Uh, the series is called "Have You Ever Read a Book?" Um, but essentially, uh, anything that they're they've optioned or are currently in the process of or have already, uh, they will be talking over a cup of coffee at Starbucks. You know, whatever cross branding. What can you do? But essentially, yeah, I mean, that's kind of interesting that they are doing that. So it just kind of talks to just i was a little surprised because i we were talking about netflix and i looked it up and i'm like wow they're actually going to promote books but um anyway uh which in itself
1: yeah. is uh all to the good right um,
0: i i think so i think that um I, I actually i know people that have kids who are still struggling with the screen time problem of how much screen time their kids got right. and yeah. uh but at the same time, cursing themselves in the same breath because they're like, "I bought a tablet for my, you know, six month old." Yeah. It's like, oh, I know. Why did you do that? Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Why? No, totally. Yeah, now we're complaining like, what no. the hell?
1: I, I knew a girl actually that um she turned into a single mom. Husband had uh, passed away, oh, and um, funny. it oh, a whole nother ball of Maybe. wax there, but regardless um she uh she told me that um she never let her little one um either touch the tablet or be with it for more than a few minutes and i think that was even you know uh there was no screen time until x years old and i i don't remember the details anymore but i'm like you know what that's there's wisdom there. There really is. I mean, people will say, well, what are you doing? You're hamstringing the kid because let's face it. The world is digital, right? We're staring at screens all day. The knowledge worker is kind of the minor of our age. I guess you could argue or farmer, um, that kind of thing. Right. Um, And it fair. um, I mean, Hey, both of us look at screens all day. You know, uh, we do completely different jobs and yet, you know, we do need to make use of the digital technologies that exist these days. Right. So you need to yeah, understand just... how how what are the basics of working a computer? What are um, the basics of working a Zoom call, um, writing an email, using words, um, whatever else? Like I could go over a hundred different tools that you need to live in the digital workplace. Right. And so there is a little bit of fairness there when parents say, well, you're just hamstringing your kid. But I think too, psychologically, mentally, you are hamstringing your kid. If when your kid is born, you stuff them in front of a screen because that's a handy babysitter. Like I don't think you're doing either yourself or your child any favors by doing that because, um, at least from what I understand, as they've found in, in research, I guess, it has a very real and shitty effect on the brain development of uh, a child when, uh, when they're looking at a screen, particularly when they're too young. Um, and I, I think, you know, wh- there's a way to bring it in with intelligence, there's a way to make sure that you're not hamstringing your kid in the workplace when they grow up. I mean, what are you worried about? Your kid is three years old, like for Christ's sake already. Let your kid be a kid for a while, right? And they're going to pick up on some of the stuff, right? The kid's naturally going to pick up on stuff anyways, because you're probably glued to the damn screen all night long anyways. Um, Either the TV or the computer, right? Um, okay. so they're going to pick stuff up. They're going to learn stuff just naturally because kids are freaking monster learners. It's what they do. Um, and, and so I don't think there's the the need for as much fear maybe as, as there might be sometimes, but, um, yeah, sorry, you're, you're going to say something and I kept trucking. So hopefully I didn't. No, no, I, I, was no agreeing. I was
0: I was just saying that, um, you know, that that kind of, the the digital babysitter was what you were essentially mm. saying, which I right. I kind of agree with. And I mean, it's it's difficult, I think, for for a lot of parents uh, to survive for this day in these day and age. But at the yeah, same time, to kind
1: of backpedal a little bit, I, so that I don't sound like a complete asshole here, I get that part of it too, right? It's. I mean we're skidding off in all kinds of directions about where is society now where is the family unit now blah and blah blah And these toxic
0: relationships so, suck. Yeah oh.
1: yeah uh, you just you can carry on and carry on but that is that is a fair point that you make which I you know absolutely agree. Well that's with. actually it's, uh, not really what I was times. thinking about
0: was it was more or less that um, that regardless of of whether or not people are using the technology properly. Um, it's really not an excuse, I think, for us to to do mm. that. But, you know, but again, I can't speak for, you know, single parent ex who's, you know, surviving barely at the end of the day. But And that's um,
1: part of it, right?
0: Yeah. So um, because basically, I mean, it, it touches on that whole digital parenting thing, or sorry, digital babysitting thing, touches on the whole, uh, part of the chapter of um, uh, where he says um, when choosing friends it's always advisable to pick those who are beneficial of your well-being rather than somebody who hurts your well-being Yeah. if I were to replace the word friend with tablet to me that kind of is the same thing where a, an adult who knows better or should know better that digital screen time we now know is having negative impacts better than more than positive ones that uh, they shouldn't be doing that yet at the same time they're doing it because, you know, maybe they're burned out or maybe they need a break or whatever.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, but again, it's sort of, it sort of plays along the same lines of, you know, are you doing this because you are burned out uh, or are you doing this because it's the easy way? And I think that part of what he's saying in this chapter is that these are not easy decisions. Um, you know, I, I sort of think if somebody walks up to you that's a friend of yours and they stab you with a knife and you start bleeding everywhere, okay, maybe that's an easy choice to be like, I don't want to see you ever again uh, <laughs> because I don't like being stabbed. And uh, last time I checked, friends don't stab each other. Um, but really, ultimately, the world doesn't work like that. Uh, you know, you, you have friends that are require different levels of attention. You require a certain level of attention um uh, or not and uh and that can be a really difficult thing because you suddenly are having you're put into a position where it's like you know barry uh actually i can give you an example i have a friend who i considered a really good friend uh met him doing improv theater years ago i moved to vancouver didn't realize it but he also moved vancouver not long after i did so I ran into him completely randomly somewhere. I said, oh, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. And he's like, oh, yeah, I moved here and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, I moved here and blah, blah. He's like, oh, wow. It was like two or three months apart. Um, and anyway, so we hung out for a little bit. And uh, he's an artist. And I said, hey, can you draw me this thing for this project I'm working on? Because I was already running my own thing. He's like, great. And I said, well, you know, what would you like for it? And he's like, oh, well, I'm not going to charge you for it because, you know, we're friends, right? I said, okay, fine. Um, but, uh, you know, then later on, he ran into some money troubles. And he showed up at my door one day unannounced and said, hi, you want to hang out? And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. Why not? So we started hanging out. Anyway, long story short, he was basically going friend to friend to friend, knocking on their doors because he was trying to ask for money. He didn't ask mm, me for money, right? But he brought up the fact that he had done some work for me that he had been paid for, and I thought, "Oh, okay. Well, I thought we had, you know, actually, I all I know what it was. I traded him for a website. That's what it was. I built up a website, and yeah. uh, so I didn't actually do nothing for what he had done. So, uh, and I was hosting it. I wasn't charging him for that. Like I was doing stuff for him for free. That was kind of a long term commitment rather than him drawing like three images for me once. Uh, because, you know, I was a friend and I was being friendly to him. So, and he, uh, didn't realize that value. He, you know, kind of dismissed what I had done for him. And, uh, then he got, you know, bitchy cause he was having money troubles. But here's the thing. I gave him 300 bucks cause he hmm. had to pay his power bill or something. And he was really behind or whatever. And I'm like, fine. So I gave him 300 bucks and he immediately went and paid his bill. Like the bill that he owed. And like, like right in front of me, he's like, Oh God, man, thank you're saving my ass. And like then paid whatever he had to pay rent or maybe, I don't know what it was anyway. And I didn't really think much about it because he was in a jam and I just kind of gave him the money. I'm like, sure. Cause I have the money sitting in my account. I can help you out. Right. Sure. Yeah. Never asked for it back. I never asked him to pay me back. I'd given him a free website. I'd given him free hosting. I'd give, I built the fucking thing um, for nothing and in trade for a couple of artistic things. And then, um, I don't know, maybe like a year later after the $300 thing, uh, he was mad about this whole website thing for some reason. And I don't quite, I didn't quite understand what he was pissy about. Something tells me he was in money troubles again. Um, and he actually started bitching me out for whatever, like it, whatever was in his mind at the time was I still didn't understand it to this day and can't remember it anymore to be honest but anyway and all i said to him was like dude i gave you 300 bucks like you know x number of months ago or last year or whatever and i never asked for you back and i don't quite understand why i'm getting shit on like this and he hung up on me because this was a phone call and i never heard Hmm. from him again Hmm. and that was probably 2010 2009 somewhere there Right. Didn't hear from him ever again. I still don't know what he's doing. I'm, I'm assuming he's alive. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it was so weird to me that, and I didn't yell or I just said, dude, I, I don't know why I'm getting in trouble for something I didn't do or whatever it was. And, yeah. and and I don't know why I'm such a bad person because I gave you money last year and I've never asked for it back. I've never asked you to pay me back. I just helped you out, man. And you know, maybe he was just too embarrassed after he realized that and left. But But anyway, yeah, it was kind of weird. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. Uh,
1: but but essentially all I'm trying to
0: say is that that was a toxic relationship that I'd never pursued after that. So at least it started going down that road and maybe I just dodged a bullet, but anyway.
1: Yeah. No, I would say that's a pretty good illustration of what can happen in real life with us. Right. Like, and you want to, because you want to be compassionate and helpful, um, you do what you do to help a person and, uh, Peterson actually addresses that we didn't this is an awesome sort of a segue because Peterson mentions that we haven't talked about it yet about how we can want to try and help somebody or even like save them right like, if we are talking about someone who's uh, you mentioned like a heroin junkie right. and maybe you really care for this person because they're a good, a good friend of yours from way back. Maybe it's a family member. Uh, you know, I, I would hope not, but maybe. Um, whatever it is, you are attached to this person. And um, you you want to save, and maybe you, you kind of want to help people just in general. And Peter isn't saying, well, you need to, that's another thing you need to think about in the context of the people that you hang out with, because, um, you know, it's kind of like compassion and caring and being helpful is all really good stuff, but it can go too far and, you know, even potentially be used against you or um, you could use it against others. And, and he, he, makes the point that um uh some people say, well, you know uh Christ talked about turning the other cheek, and he uh no he he befriended um uh, what was it like hookers and you know money lenders whatever um and so people are like, well, you know Christ did that, and <laughs> Peterson's response is, well. He's that was Christ. <laughs> he's like the perfect, the perfect man and um you're you is kind of how he puts it, right? So um you you really have to examine your motivations, I guess is what he's really saying. If that's the mentality that you're in, like you really want to save this person, what what's going on there? How far are you willing? to go in helping this person, and it seemed to me that he's just arguing, look, it's awesome to have this compassionate attitude, and you also have to be willing to examine it honestly and say, okay, you know, I'm I'm here doing this because it's a good thing, it seems to be having some good impact on this other person. And yet you have to gauge where that relationship is at and the impact for the other person. Are you truly being helpful? Or, and he says, unfortunately this can be more the case. Is the other person actually dragging you down? And he brings up um, a couple examples. Like, uh sometimes like a school counselor will take what's considered a delinquent child and put them into a group of supposedly, um you know, good kids, whatever, high achievers, whatever. And he says, unfortunately, <laughs> what seems to happen more often than not is everybody sinks to the lowest common denominator. So this troubled youth ends up Dragging the other kids in that group down, maybe not to their level, but you know, their their performance at school suffers, and you know, maybe they're not involved in the things they used to be. They're not your kind of classic, you know, B A level student who's involved in the band and rugby. And I'm just yanking ideas out of the air here, but right, right, um, you know, just the kind the high achieving kid and same thing happens in work environments where you know some boss figures okay i'm gonna this team is a bit of an issue i'm gonna break it apart and put these people in into teams that are high performing and unfortunately the teams (laughs) are no longer high performing it's kind of like you know the snake in the grass or whatever the snake in the garden of eden i'm getting very extreme with my examples for analogies, but that's kind of the idea where instead of the team bringing up this person, unfortunately, most often this single person, this unfortunately a negative influence drags everybody else down. And it really made me think about, um, just as a kind of a, an aside, but connected, um, Steve Jobs, think of him what you will but you got to admit the man was able to put together a, a company that still seems to be functioning uh reasonably well and um you know it for a while turned out some uh well still you could argue puts out some reasonable hardware um but particularly back when jobs was still alive i mean cell phones would not be where they're where they are um without the impetus of Apple, you know, say what you will about Apple being shit and, and whatever else. Um, but cell phones are a thing now in many different flavors and sizes and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he was kind of the the impetus behind this shift into what we now know as the cell phone. And um, he uh, w- was you know, some people would say just basically a jerk and an asshole. But one thing that he always said was he always wanted A players, period, end of story. He wouldn't tolerate what he considered were underperformers or poor performers. And you could argue that that's part of the reason for the success that he saw in his company was maybe he was one of these folks that had a nose for for talent a nose for real competence and skill and he jealously and maybe even you know viciously guarded his teams guarded his company from folks that just did not perform um no at least this is you know what i can gather from what i've read the realities of course i'm hugely removed from, but, um, that's, uh, kind of speaks to Peterson's point. And, um, I guess, you know, again, you got to consider where are you at with this person that you're trying to help and why is it you're wanting to help? And, you know, as you're doing it, are you having an impact? Is this person actually desiring to, step up in their life and grow, be something more than they are. And it happens. I read a a biography of um, a woman who's now sort of one of these motivational speakers and, you know, wants to help others um, get out of, you know, basically crappy lives. um, Because that's where she was as a child. She grew up Uh, in the eighties, she's probably more or less our age, uh, I think. Um, But she grew up in the eighties, more or less in New York city when New York city was, you know, the kind of crime ridden um, mess that it was for a while, no longer anymore, but regardless at the time it was. And so her life uh, as a child was extremely difficult Um, both parents were junkies. Um, I think it was. And, uh, so her home life was, I mean, it wasn't a home life, quite frankly, it just wasn't. Um, but she manages in later life to, um, you know, not pull herself out of it, but she works herself out of it with the help of those that are offering, to reach out and, and, you know, help. And so that is something that's possible, but I think Peterson mentions this in the chapter, that person has to have that motivation. You can't, uh, you can't install that in a person, either they have it or they don't. And that's, that's as simple as you can put it.
0: How else could you phrase it? So yeah. So, on that note, uh, we've been going for like an hour and a half now. So uh, hopefully, people got to the end. Uh, if not, uh, we'll see you next time. Because uh, this, I mean, I got to say, you know, this this book is quite fascinating. Um, in it is. I mean, even even if it's just like you know a summary of how uh, people can can be, because the or how people could be. It could improve their lives because I think it's a genuine book so far for how you could actually do things. And I think it also is one of those things where uh, he kind of of writes like some people that I I like, uh, other authors that I like that are very much that here is the truth you need to hear Uh, that hopefully uh, the rawness of it will basically say, hey, you know, here's uh, your problem and uh, here's how you could fix it uh and uh if you don't sure then that's on you but you know anyway
1: yeah. blah blah well, blah. He's, he's quite poetic too though don't you find i do so far
0: yeah i mean he's definitely got some things okay. in here that i really like that that are yeah he's trying to because i mean as we mentioned or i mentioned earlier about his you know his background of research and all that kind of stuff so you know he's trying to take a very complex subject and whittle it down like as i said his original list i think he says at the beginning of the book was something like you know 70 different things or something so to yeah. cut them all down uh and of course after this book there's his next one which is the more rules or whatever
1: it's yeah called. yeah 12 more rules i guess it's called or whatever yeah. so
0: uh yeah but anyway i uh, will uh, see you next time with uh, with our adventures into uh, different books that hopefully will help people And stuff and other things. How does how do you summarize this? Sparks and coolness in your life. Sparks and coolness. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Bye, Dave.
1: (laughs) Peace.